So I'm just kind of sitting there watching the draft and seeing all my buddies go and a lot of people I played with and stuff. And, you know, you end up getting like a little bit jealous. It's funny. You know, you're like, oh, my God, I played better than that kid, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so you're just sitting there and I was waiting on a call from Alan. And um, once like the third round passed, I was like, like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to school. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, I'm joined by Colby Halter, an infielder who just started his professional career after three seasons in Florida. Obviously, this episode is going to be a little bit different than usual, as usually we're talking to a professional baseball player at the end of their career or as, as they've retired. Uh, Colby has just started. He has about a week of professional baseball experience. So we're, we're talking about that, and we're talking about some of the unique circumstances he's gone through during his amateur career. Uh, Colby was part of the 2020 class of high schoolers that had their uh, senior seasons wiped out by COVID. We go through that. And then as someone who's older than Colby, I, I ask a lot of old guy questions. What is life like when you're dealing with social media as a high schooler? He committed to Florida at 14. What is it like figuring out where you want to go to college really before you've even gone gone through high school. So I uh, was really happy that Colby could join. He is actually a listener of the show. Uh, he is someone that I've, I've been able to follow with great interest and, and root for during his career at Florida. So it's very cool to see him start his journey with the A's. Um, obviously going to be rooting for him like crazy, and I think you will too after listening to this episode. It's a really good one. A lot of fun stuff at, during his time at Florida as well. So uh, tune in for that. Episodes of Feeding on to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Every single trade from this past weekend's trade deadline is up and evaluated at Baseball America. Go check out the prospects that were dealt. Obviously, we've still got all the post-draft stuff and minor league season still going strong. So always a good time to be subscribed to Baseball America. And with that, let's talk to Kobe Halter. All right, joining in for today's episode from Feed On to the Farm, he's a 17th round pick of the A's in the 2023 draft out of Florida infielder Colby Halter. Colby, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I've, uh, like I said, I've been watching this for a long time. So, yeah, I've, I've, one, I appreciate you listening, and two, I'm excited to have this. You are as active and active player as we can have on this show, as you're are about a week into week, couple weeks into your professional career. Um, before we kind of go backwards, I want to just what is your what is your experience been? You are in the the post draft gauntlet where they flew you to Arizona and they have thrust you into the complex league. Yeah, it goes uh, it goes pretty quick for sure, but um, it's been great. And you know, I keep reminding myself everything I'm doing now I'm getting paid to do it, so that makes it a little bit. But uh, yeah, I love playing baseball, so I'm doing what I love anyway. Your uh, your last game at Florida was in the was in front of like twenty some thousand people. How many people have you been playing in front of in the in the complex league? Well, we've got our coaches and uh, like two people's girlfriends, so probably total like eight. <laughs> a little less, pre- little less pressure. Do, actually, does it feel like less pressure when it's when it's a job now? Um, I'd say so. It kind of feels like honestly like travel ball. Um, back playing on the backfields and stuff. And then also like, it kind of feels like fall baseball camp too, honestly in the complex. So it's been, been funny. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to you getting, uh, getting out to greener pastures and, and being able to get out of Arizona soon, but let's, let's take it back now. Um, 
you you've listened to the show before, so you know I kind of usually start off with when do you realize you had a chance to play at the next level. But I realized as I was putting together this run sheet, today's episode is going to be a lot like old man yells at cloud because I'm just going to ask you what things are like in your day and age because you're you're younger than me. And so you committed to Florida as a freshman. This is before you could drive. This is before... I like to think most people know anything about themselves. Like I barely remember when I was 14. So I curious you, it's something that I think is now going away. I think with the the rules or something, but what was, what was recruiting and comprehending what college was like when you were in middle school and early high school? So, I mean, recruiting, honestly, all happened so fast. And obviously I was a freshman and looking back, it's hilarious that I made like such a big life decision, you know, that early. Uh, but luckily I made a good one and got pretty lucky there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I remember, I mean, growing up, I played baseball with like the same group of kids from, we played every sport together pretty much when we were like six to, you know, 17. So I got really lucky. We had a group of like eight of us. We played football, baseball, basketball, um, pretty much everything together. And uh, this guy, Joe Pound, who's like second dad to me, he coached us and all that stuff. And my dad helped out and, um, but Joe, Joe played some college ball at UNF and uh, played some independent ball. So he knew what he was talking about. And um, he's a really good baseball guy. But uh, I don't know. When I, before my freshman year of high school, I got invited to pitch in um, like some PG like showcasing. Uh, it was like the select fest, I guess. And the thing has become like a little bit of a bigger thing now. But it's basically like the All-American game for 14-year-olds, which is pretty funny. Um, but I was a pitcher in that. And right after that, you know, I started getting attention from schools and um, I visited FSU and I visited Florida and I uh, committed to Florida right away. So it was crazy. With that, like we've had most recent episode uh, of the show, obviously had a, um, you know, had a, had a college coach on and he mentioned like some of the things about how he recruited, you know, how he recruited guys, Jim Morris over at Miami and what what were the selling points to you when you were 14? Cause on, on the last episode, Jim Morris told a story about Ryan Braun picking Miami mainly because of the girls. But like, again, you're 14. Uh, what, like wh- how, what makes college, what, what makes you say at 14, this is the, this is the place for me. This is where I want to go after high school. So it's kind of funny looking back at it, but when I, Visited FSU and stuff, I kind of felt like a traitor because I'd been a huge Gator fan my whole life. And, um, you know, like Tim Tebow, watching them play football and also watching them play baseball, like Preston Tucker and those guys. Like, I grew up diehard Gator fan. So the whole time I was at FSU, I felt like I was doing something wrong pretty much. And uh, so it really wasn't a hard sell for Soli and Craig and all those guys to get me in Florida. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I sat down and tried to, like, write out a pros and cons list and stuff. And Florida had been my dream school my whole life. And um, whatever that list said, the bottom thing on the FSU list was that it's not Florida. And so right after that, I called Sully and told him that I wanted to come to Florida. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we went on our tour, uh, Buddy Monroe is like our ops guy now, and I've gotten really close with him, but, um, he showed us around campus and Sully showed us around campus and Florida is just a great school. Um, obviously there's a lot of girls and stuff like that too. That's something Craig used to joke about, uh, take them around on a football game day or something and see that environment and you wouldn't ever want to go anywhere else. So, um, but yeah, they also just kind of, right after I committed that year, they won the national championship. So that made me feel pretty good about my decision, um, stuff like that. So yeah, 
At what point in high school do you start ironing out the financials of what that commitment looks like? Because the, you know, you can be something at 14. There have been plenty of kids who are something at 14 and then not so much at 18 or the reverse. When, when does the, the conversation become, okay, this is what it financially actually looks like for you to come here. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, they give you a number, like a percentage or whatever, whenever you first, or they, at least they did for me when I committed as a freshman. Um, and in Florida, we have this thing called Bright Futures, where like if you have a certain GPA and uh, test scores, then you get your tuition paid for as well. So being a good student and being from Florida is like definitely a big plus um, to go to state schools here. So I, my tuition was paid for my whole college by Bright Futures. And so whatever I made in scholarship, I just got to keep in cash, which was awesome. And really that, that's, that seems nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we kind of, I guess we had that ironed out before you know, I committed honestly, but you know, there's a lot of kids like in my recruiting class that signed at 14. And then, um, you know, by the time it came around COVID and all that stuff happened, that didn't end up making it to Florida. Um, and you know, I was like another thing, I was one of the first ones to commit in our class. And I remember like, they'd be committing infielders and stuff. And like me, like looking at that and texting Craig, like, who's this guy, whatever. He's like, listen, like, we're going to keep signing good players. Like you need to keep getting better too, you know? And that's something that, um, you know, you realize it's like, yeah, it's just your recruiting class. Like there's already guys there that are juniors and sophomores and they're all really good and everyone's really good. So well, with that, you mentioned you got noticed first as a pitcher. When I was doing a little research for this, I went your perfect game profile had some a lot of stuff of you pitching and throwing really well and, and looking good at it. You're obviously an infielder as you're you pick this landing spot and then it's like, what are you going to develop into? How did you go from, I got noticed as a pitcher to landing on campus and being an infielder, your three years of Florida. Yeah. So I actually, I signed to Florida as a two way um, and going into college or like my last couple of years of high school, I really, you know, I kind of thought that maybe I had a more of a career in pitching. Like that was my first love. I really loved pitching and I was good at it. And like, you get to control the whole game and it was a lot of fun, you know? So I really always loved pitching growing up, but, uh, Craig, I got to talk to him a little bit as I got older and we were pretty close. And, um, he was like, yeah, man, like, you know, and he's obviously a really good recruiter. He was like our head recruiter at Florida and um, signed some really good players, but he's like, you know, you have like a left-hand hitting athletic middle infielder that's got a good arm. Like you just sign those guys and it'll take care of itself later. You know what I mean? So, um, that was kind of seems like a good philosophy. Uh, yeah, it's crazy how it all worked out. I think I threw probably like three bullpens on campus and um, ended up playing a lot in the infield my freshman year. So I just kind of never, never really pitched again, but um, it's cool. As you're in high school, and this is going to be another one of those things where I, I'm an old man and I say back in my day, back in my day, uh, social media was just kind of starting. Um, but mainly if you like your scope of who the good baseball players were was just kind of around your area. So like me in San Antonio was like, whoever the best guy was in San Antonio, that was the best guy. No one else really mattered outside of the city. Um, with you in your era, like you being a guy who was ranked as a top 100 prospect in your class and, um, you know, Florida signing and all that stuff in, you know, in say in 2000, even the year before social media, like that would have been all the chatter in your area, you would have been top dog, whatever, but you play on like the team USA team. And then you have social media where it is so easy to keep up with whoever is, you know, the guy at your position or at your spot and stuff like that. And I'm, 
just kind of curious on like what impact that played on your confidence and your psyche. Like you're on Team USA, but also on Team USA is like Pete Crow Armstrong or, you know, Austin Hendrick or guys like that who get who the scouting world says, well, Colby, you're good. These guys are first round good. You're seeing these guys that in a different scenario, you're probably not even paying attention to them because you're just focused on your little bubble. It just did that affect you. You're like, did it increase your confidence to see you get named with some of these guys? Or was it like a little more debilitating of like, I'm good, but why am I not this good? No, I mean, I'd say it definitely like honestly made me feel like a little bit more confident that like I was playing with these guys and competing with them. And, you know, I felt like holding my own with them. Um, and that was something like before that summer, my senior year, like I was a good player and stuff. And um, I played on travel team where it was all the kids that I grew up with and stuff. So I wasn't like a big national travel team or anything. And we'd play against the big teams and I'd pitch. And um, we had a couple kids that could play pretty good. And we actually had a lot of guys go play college ball from our team. But um, we weren't like Kane's national or something that I ended up playing for where you're flying guys in and all this stuff. And it's crazy. But um, so I got invited to PDP, which you team uh, USA put on that summer. And um, it was like 80 guys. And we all lived down at IMG Academy for a month. Um, it was like baseball every single day. And uh, Coach Leggett was there just kind of basically trying to pick his USA team. And so they cut that from 80 guys to 40. And like I was one of the if they invited 80 guys, I was probably the 80th dude invited. You know, I got a really late invite and um, I was just glad to be there and got down there and worked really hard every single day and um, ended up making the cut and then ended up making it on Team USA, you know, as a two way and uh, got to play with those guys like Pete Crow and, you know, Austin Hendrick was like the man at the time. And. I'm um, a bunch of really good players on that USA team and um, ended up starting on that team and hitting really well in Korea and stuff. So, um, but I feel like just being able to like be on the field with them and realize that you can compete with those guys definitely did a lot to make me feel like, you know, you are a really good player. And um, even if I thought that before and, you know, just kind of give yourself some confidence. I'm curious though, what did you gain from playing because you probably could have gone and played for some of like those Evo shield teams or whatever, like the bigger teams when you were younger, like once you commit to Florida world's kind of your oyster and there are those, you know, those super elite travel teams that are starting earlier and earlier. Now, what did you, you know, in retrospect, what did you gain from playing with just like your buddies? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, having like a, the same coach for a long time really gave me like platform to like, just continue to get better and uh, playing with the same group of kids. Like, you know, it was uh, all the other things aside, you know, it was just a lot of fun. Like those were like my best friends. And um, to this day, it's still some of my best friends, but you know, as like a player in the development wise, I feel like having like a constant voice and someone that gets to watch you and know your swing or whatever from when you're like seven to 17 is pretty special. And um, especially if they really know the game and they're good baseball people, um, and I feel like I really never felt a lot of pressure, you know, like I knew I was going to go play shortstop and, um, I knew Blake was going to play second and it was, it was my buddies and we were having a lot of fun. So, um, I feel like that was one part I, I felt really comfortable the whole time. And that was a lot of fun. And then once I turned 17, I did end up playing for Canes national. And that was something where I just felt like, you know, when you get older and you start playing at a higher level, you have to play for different coaches and learning how like other people look at the game and stuff and having some new voices isn't a bad thing, but I was super grateful to be able to have a really good voice my whole life growing up. You mentioned uh Jack Luggett, legendary Clemson coach was the coach of your team USC team USA team. Do you have like just a, a good Jack Luggett story? Oh yeah. He, uh, 
he's the man he he's like the most energetic old guy you've ever met in your life um coach Leggett the first thing he said when we he picked the team and we get in the meeting room he's like you know just telling us about how to live life and he he's awesome for teaching you life lessons and raising good young men you know he does that awesome but he's like every morning I get out of bed and I stomp my feet on the ground I'm saying who am I gonna punch in the mouth today and all this stuff and uh he used to literally when we'd be warming up and doing our like agility for the game stuff coach leg is out there running like 80 yard sprints and he's like a 75 year old man like literally he's he's crazy he was uh he's awesome and he's kind of you know i mean if i can be like that at 75 that'd be nuts so yeah you always wonder how these older college coaches still identify with you know 16 17 18 year olds and that that seems like a good way to do it just be full of energy no doubt he's uh he's special man so as you got in as a calendar turned to your senior year, like early, we're talking like, I guess for, for Florida, it's just like early spring 2020. You guys are like us. You don't really have a, have much of a winner, but how, you know, you're getting, you, you made team USA. You've played with all these guys that are going to be first round picks. You're on these perfect game, baseball America list, you know, top 100 prospect, all these things. How, how are you looking at the draft? Let's say pre-March. Yeah, um, I thought that I was definitely in like a pretty good spot, and um, you know, I thought there's a pretty good chance I was going to sign, and I was excited for um, my senior year and stuff. And um, you know, you do all these events and stuff all summer, and I feel like I performed pretty well at them. And all these lists are coming out, and you look at them and stuff because you're naive, so you're staring at all the lists all the time. But uh, yeah, I thought I was in a pretty good spot to sign, honestly. Did you think of a number? Like, did you, your parents, whoever talk about, you know, did you get to that point before the world shut down? Yeah, I, I had a number pretty uh, set in my mind. And, um, you know, you have all these people telling you what you're worth and what you think you're worth and stuff like that. So it's pretty funny looking back. But then March happens. Um, yep. I'm just I'm kind of curious. I obviously I don't I don't talk to many people who are in school at that time, like I, my son was in kindergarten. Yeah. That's the most important year of high school for a baseball player, for a person. Um, that's your senior prom. That's, you know, your, your last time. I mean, that, that experience, once you realize that like the year was over once, you know, it was not two weeks and, and go back to work. I'm curious, like, how did you, how did you rebound? How did you say, okay, this is my, you know, this is my next goal. Like when did you finally shut the door on? Okay. High school's high school's over. We can't really see each other anymore. We're not going to have prom. We're not going to have whatever. And then now the draft is a big shrug. Yeah. I mean, looking back at it, um, really it was kind of, you know, everyone was really scared at first, but down in Florida, uh, you know, you hear all these stories like Florida man, whatever, <laughs> but that's kind of true. Like really, I just spent a lot of time, um, you know, me and my buddies, we go fishing. I live uh, on the intercoastal and we had like this little skiff boat. So we go fishing and, uh, like just lifting and hitting every day. And then once I was done with that, by like 10 30, you know, I had the rest of the day to go to the beach or do whatever. So, um, at first, obviously we were like sheltered in place and everything, but I think everyone got a little bit more lax with it as it went on. And, um, I kind of had a nice like month. I feel like at least probably to just hang out with my friends and be a kid a little bit. So, we all liked it for that, honestly, you know, and we'd done prom and stuff the year before. So no one was super bummed, I don't think. But, you know, losing the baseball season obviously wasn't fun. And we were trying to find ways to, like, get Sandlot games going, you know, with guys that, like, 
like Tyler Callahan and Nathan Hickey and stuff, they're all from Jacksonville. And uh, we would have like Snapchat group chats trying to get live at bats going at like local rec parks and stuff. So it was funny, everyone trying to stay in shape and um, do stuff for baseball. But honestly, it was, it was good to be able to spend some time with friends. So, And the draft that year gets shortened to five rounds. What were your conversations with scouts, with whoever beforehand? Because most of those teams were – nailing down like that we only have five picks we got to make sure they all sign we you know and don't have this the biggest spring to to evaluate these these high school crop which is partly why we got this super loaded 2023 draft because a lot of these guys made it to campus who normally wouldn't have made it to campus yeah that's definitely true um going into it i definitely had a lot of meetings and um you know some meetings with like higher ups and organizations and stuff so i was still thinking that it looked pretty good and uh you know, going into draft day, I thought there was a chance that, um, you know, I'd go in the first three rounds and stuff. So I, I ended up having like my grandparents over and my girlfriend and stuff at the time. Um, and we were all watching it together. So wait, then, then you got to walk me through that because you're having the draft party and there's yeah, not, not draft party per se, but, uh, definitely had some people over to watch it. The draft get together then. Yeah. Draft get together. So <laughs> as good. like round one passes, round two passes, round three passes, where, where's your head? Again, that's a bonkers thing for an 18 year old to, to do. Like, were you, were you waiting for a call to say yes to, or were you passing on low ball offers? Like, how did that work for you? Yeah. So, I mean, really, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this is a pretty big baseball fan. So they know how the draft works and stuff, but a lot of the stuff is uh, done by your agent, like behind the scenes and teams are calling and, um, you know, the way we did it was I told my agent, all right, this is what number we decided on or whatever. And this is like advice given me. This is the number I decided on. He's not going to call me with offers like lower than that. And uh, if we get one, then we'll take it, you know. And um, so we had that. And so I'm just kind of sitting there watching the draft and seeing all my buddies go and a lot of people I played with and stuff. And, um, you know, you end up getting like a little bit jealous. It's funny. You know, you're like, oh, my God, I played better than that kid. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so you just sitting there and I was waiting on a call from Alan. And uh, once like the third round passed, I was like, like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to school, you know, whatever, like screw them. I'll go to school and uh, I'll be a first rounder out of college, you know, and <laughs> this house is going to go. So, so there was no instinct on your part to like, when it starts getting late in the second round to text and be like, you know what, like 10% lower, I think I'd actually be good with. But like before before the whole draft goes on, like we had a lot of meetings with like uh, Al and Tyler, who are my agents. And um, they're like, listen, like you need to be firm on this. Like when the draft comes and like, if other people are gone, you're going to want to like change it. But like, you know, Florida is a great spot. And I obviously, uh, I didn't even know how wonderful college would be, but um, they had, you know, I had wiser people advising me. So I'm glad I listened to them. Um, but yeah. So you make it to campus, uh, and an article I read that was written, I guess probably right before COVID, it was during your senior year, um, says you did the, you know, you did the the good the good prospect thing. You changed your body, you put on some muscle, you got into the you know the best shape of your life for your senior year of high school. How different was what you did in high school versus what you did your first fall in Florida? Yeah, I uh, I had been lifting pretty well decently and stuff but the biggest thing that changed for me when I got to college um, was like my diet and how I like looked at like counting macros and stuff like that or like really just eating the right way for an athlete um so that was like a huge change for me and then obviously our strength program and stuff at Florida was really awesome and 
uh, getting to be in the weight room with like grown men, you know, I'm like, geez, like I'm, you know, I'm not very strong. <laughs> like, I need to, my legs were always strong, but like upper body and stuff like that. I'm like, gosh, like these dudes are benching like 120 pound dumbbells. Are you kidding me? Like that would crush me if it landed on me. So that's like eye opening. So counting your macros and the nutrition stuff, I'm interested because that's something that now, you know, there, there will be some, some club mandated stuff and some things you have to do as a professional, but you are ostensibly on your own. You're a grown adult. It's up to you to take care of your body. Is that stuff, was it like this, these meals were put in front of you and you, you eat them or did you, you know, do you have a base of knowledge of that stuff of now going into professional baseball? You've got an idea of this is, this is what I need to eat. This is when I need to eat it. This is how I need to keep myself in the best shape. Yeah, so at Florida, we had a nutritionist um, named Hillary Ake, and uh, she was awesome. And, you know, it was kind of a thing where, like, they didn't shove it down your throats, but if you wanted to take advantage of it, you know, you could meet with Hillary whenever you wanted and go over stuff, and she'd give you advice and everything. But uh, really, when it when I really made a huge change was going into my sophomore year. Um, me and everyone knows him now, Wyatt Langford. Uh, he was my roommate. Decent and, ball player, yeah. Yeah, we kind of together, like, that whole fall um, – we were tracking everything and for probably like, you know, five months straight, all we ate was air fryer, chicken breast and sweet potatoes and vegetables and rice. Like every day we cook it together and that's all we ate. And um, we were working out super hard and stuff. It was hilarious. And like our dessert would literally be like a sweet potato. You know what I mean? It was nuts. So um, that was probably like the most crazy I've ever been about nutrition, but now I feel like I have a good view and um, kind of some knowledge and he you know why it's someone if he puts his mind to something he like goes full in and so it was always awesome just having him to like bounce ideas off of and uh you know figure everything out together so well I, i'm gonna come back to that because i want to know now as a you know as a professional what your what your nutrition looks like living in the complex league but looking at some video of you from high school and then say video from this past season at florida your swing, at least like my untrained eye, doesn't look a whole lot different. Like you see some kids get to college and they they change a lot of things. They're, you know, especially like pitchers, their delivery will get way different. You look like you're kind of doing the same thing. How, you know, did you change your, try to change yourself as a hitter at all? Or were, are there smaller adjustments that like we don't, you know, we haven't seen? Because it does look like you just kind of were able to, continue doing what what made you successful in high school yeah i think um you know looking back like if i was a coach and you know you're recruiting these high level players and stuff i honestly would not change a ton like mechanically because um, that's what craig would always say too he'd be like listen like if you're here at the university of florida your swing works like you all have good swings whatever blah blah, blah. like stuff we're going to teach you is like approach and um just like you know little things like that but um and that's, he's been doing it a long time, obviously. And, you know, a lot of like these college coaches don't want to be the reason that someone like ends up struggling. You know what I mean? If they go and change a kid's swing and he was really good before and now he's not, you know, that could fall on them. So no one wants to do that. And he's right. You know, there's a bunch of people that have good swings and um, your swing's just part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I went through some mechanical changes a little bit in college and, you know, when you'd struggle and stuff, you'd kind of go searching in the cage and stuff like that. So um, really, I think the biggest thing that I really struggled with in college was just like getting my load on time and stuff like that, which I kind of feel like sometimes can get you like locked up and feel stiff and stuff like that. So um, honestly, I wish I kind of just kept riding with, my, you know, what I've been doing my whole time. But um, you live and you learn and uh, 
getting back to that now. So your first fall, were there any tough ABs that were just kind of an eye opener of this will be harder than high school? I mean, you had being on Team USA, you would certainly face some guys that it wasn't like this was their first time seeing velocity. But was there anyone that just stood out of this? This isn't cool, man. I mean, we had at the time like Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich and uh, Hunter Barco was our uh, weekend rotation and. They, Tommy was a senior and Jack was a senior and they had been really successful at Florida before that. And uh, I faced Barco back in Jacksonville. He went to our rival high school and I don't think I had a hit off him in high school. So, but, uh, I ended up hitting a homer off him in the fall, actually my freshman year. That was my first hit off him ever, which was like awesome <laughs> to rub it in his face. But, um, yeah, I mean that whole fall is, you know, I think I probably hit like 220 in the, my freshman fall and, uh, you know, there's a bunch of older guys that are really good that, you know, don't even play pro ball and stuff like that, or guys that didn't start. And you're like, oh, my gosh, like everyone is just super talented. So I think that's what I gained after that first fall is like everyone here is really good. I need to keep working and, um, you know, go in my spot. So if you hit 220 your freshman fall as you get into that spring, because you you start for a bulk of the season, you end, you end up working your way into the starting lineup and you're third on the team in batting average. You have a great year. After a, a tougher, that kind of learning adjustment fall, how did you keep up confidence and, and still feel like, yeah, I'm going to contribute this year? And then when your number was called, you you stepped up. Yeah, I think, you know, especially now being through it like a couple of times and being an older guy in college, like everyone goes through that their first fall. Like Luke Heyman this year, um, he obviously had a great year for us at Florida. And, you know, I don't think he probably got a hit for like the first month and a half or something in the fall, you know, his freshman fall. And so... Um, really a lot of times, like if they know you're a good player and stuff and the coaching staff knows and they recruited you, they'll just keep, keep faith in you and, um, know that when you come back in the spring, you feel a little bit older after you get that fall under your belt. Um, and you know, a lot of times the scrimmages we're playing, like against the guys at Florida are a lot better than some of the games you're going to play in the spring. You know, it's like, it's, uh, the SEC is crazy in Florida, especially we have so much talent that in the fall scrimmages, it's like really hard baseball, really, really high level baseball. So, um, I think coming back in the spring, I felt pretty good and ended up having a good like preseason up to the year. And, uh, once I got in the lineup, I kind of just took off and never really looked back. So I did end up having a really good freshman year. Which SEC school made you shake the most during your freshman year? Um, well, when we, our first road trip, uh, was down to South Carolina and I think I went one for 13 with probably like 10 strikeouts. And uh, South Carolina's fans are my least favorite. And the- I was about to say, I'm sure they were really nice about that. Oh yeah, super nice, and they're they're all good old boys, and um, you know they're they're tough for sure. That place, Founders, I, I'll never go back. Honestly, I I hate it. I hate <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't want to put myself through that again. So you're. First experience in the NCAA tournament again. When I was doing my research, I'd forgotten this, but um, bizarre to say the least. Yeah. Um, can you will you just walk me through that regional? Because I'm sure as a freshman, like you're like, oh, we're going to Omaha for sure. Yeah. Um. You know that that year kind of was like an up and down year too, a little bit. I think at one point we had a really bad record in the SEC, and then. Um, by the end, we ended up being like 500 in the SEC and, uh, or maybe a little bit better. I might be getting confused in my sophomore year, but we ended up hosting a regional and we've got USF and, uh, South Alabama. And I can't remember the last team in our regional. Oh, Miami. Yeah. Miami. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously a pretty good regional, but, um, we ended up 
losing to USF in game one. And then uh, we lost to South Al 19 to one. And they, I just remember playing second base and literally feeling like anything they put the bat on was going to be a hit. They got like eight doubles in a row and <laughs> literally scored. And we ended up having a rain delay before that game ended, like in the eighth inning or something. We're down 19 to one and we're all in the locker rooms like, oh my God, like I can't believe this is actually happening. And we got to go out there and play again. So we're like delayed for like two hours and uh, go back out. And it was just kind of like surreal and couldn't believe that happened. Um, so, yeah. I mean, your, your first two NCAA tournament trips, just like looking at them, like you, you host both times you have that. I, when I saw the score of that South Alabama game, I was like, I thought for a second, like this had to be a typo. Um, your second experience though, is probably maybe a little more gut wrenching with taking basically the, the winner take all game against eventual national runner up Oklahoma again at home. Like if, which one was worse? Yeah, I think that obviously our freshman year was super embarrassing. And uh, that whole next year we have, we have like keypads to get in the facility and stuff. And, um, you know, our code for the, for that was 1921. And that was our code the whole year. Um, and then Barco, I think, I don't know if I'm blowing him up here. I hope not. But uh, I think he went like when he started that game against South Al, I think he threw like one inning and, uh, had I don't know how many earned runs, but we had a little combination of something with oh one, two, three or something that was like with how many earned runs he gave up in the inning and stuff. And that was another combo around the facility. So uh it's definitely something that we didn't take lightly and we kind of used it as motivation for the next year. But I think that my sophomore year is definitely more gut wrenching, just the way we lost and um another rain delay like that. We had the lead going into the final in the final game. And then we had another rain delay and um, come back and give up a homer or something and lose the lead like that. It was just crazy. And, um, you know, that team was super close to my sophomore year. So it was definitely really sad. So, and with that, and I, I think this is, I think this is your sophomore year. I think this is last year, I recall, cause you and I follow each other on Instagram and right after that game, like the day after you had had to do an NIL post for someone. I think it was like Outback Steakhouse or something. And I saw it <laughs> right after you lost. I was like, I can't imagine this was his idea. So yeah. walk me through. I mean, you're in that first generation of, of NIL players. Like, you know, when you got to Florida, getting acclimated with your collective or whatever it is and and honoring these commitments, like how how did that work from start to finish? Yeah. So my freshman year, I don't think it was like a huge thing and it was pretty new and we didn't even have like a collective or anything, but a lot of the stuff was like, you know, guys just reaching out to companies on Instagram be like, Hey, like, I like your stuff. Could you send me some or whatever? And there was no like contracts or anything. So it was kind of funny, but the more, you know, it's obviously my career went, like it got more regulated and um, you end up having stuff like Gator Collective where you can like sign contracts and stuff to get, you know, get money throughout the year. Um, and just like do meet and greets and stuff like that, or like sign autographs. And, um, but at first it was kind of like the wild west. So it was just pretty random. And if you put in a little bit of effort, you know, you could get a lot of like brand deals and like merchandise and stuff like that. So it was kind of fun at first, um, no doubt. And then obviously it became more like where, you know, schools are using it for recruiting and like having all these collectives where they're literally just signing contracts that say, Hey, like come to our school and play baseball. And, you know, show up for one meet and greet and you'll make whatever for the year. It's, it's nuts in Florida. Um, you know, they have a good collective and everything like that, but they're not doing so much as like 
other schools like that you hear about guys getting like $150,000 contracts, you know, to come play baseball, which is just nuts. But well, and yeah. that kind of goes hand in hand with my next thing of like, what well, you're also in the portal generation where, you know, every year you could have, you know, you, after that sophomore year, you could have opened yourself up to free agency who needs a second baseman um, and things like that. And obviously like, you know, your team benefited from it. Like you guys bring Hurston Waldrop in. It's not, you know, but obviously the eventual national champion, you know, hit, hit, hit the banger free agents, uh, with that. So in your, in your locker room, cause like before the transfer portal, there were still a lot of transfers. Like when I was in college every year, by the end of the year, you knew there were a couple guys who just were not coming back. Did you see, was it, was it kind of a bigger known of like, you know, midway through the year, you've got to, you know, guys are talking about it. Hey, I might hit the portal or I might like, how does, you know, how does that work? Cause reasonably every year you could become a free agent. Yeah. Um, it's definitely crazy how the portal works now and it is almost like free agency. Um, but again, like big thing at Florida is, you know, I think they made a priority again after my freshman year is just like having the right locker room and having the right guys in the program that are going to do things the way it should be done. And, um, you know, the standard that we want to have and the type of players and people that we want to have in the locker room is really important to us. So we had my last two years, we had awesome group of guys and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that you enjoyed being around. And I think that made a huge difference for our team too. But, um, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, if guys aren't playing and stuff and everyone that goes to Florida is like highly recruited and, you know, thinks a lot of themselves and a lot of people think a lot of them. So when you go there and maybe sit the bench for a little bit, um, it's definitely like hard pill to swallow sometimes, but, and you know, guys will want to transfer. So things like that happen. But um, I would say, you know, on our team, we didn't have a ton of guys that were, you know, if you were on the team for the year, you were on the team for the year and you were staying through. And we had guys that entered the portal this year that, you know, ended up like one guy, Renee Lastris, love him to death. And, um, and he was in the portal before we went to Omaha, but he stayed with the team and we all loved him and everyone was fine with it. We understood, you know, he wanted to get a chance to like play every single day and um, find a school that was a good fit for that. But he was still a part of the team and was important to our team. So, so your sophomore year, you, your offensive numbers take a little bit of a di- little bit of a dip. You're a full-time starter, but you know, it's, it, it's not besides home runs. It's not what your freshman year was. Then you go to the Cape, you hit with wood bats and you light it up. You hit seven bombs in the Cape. You make the Cape all-star game. You know, what gives like, um, like how, you know, you go from a tougher year in the sec and then you, but you go to the Cape and you, and your, your lights out. Was it, you know, what, what do you attribute that to? Yeah. You know, I started off my sophomore year, you know, really well, like red hot. And I think I was hitting like 400, you know, like two months into the season and then kind of just, uh, had a really bad skit and, you know, kind of started like doubting myself and maybe having like some anxiety and stuff, you know, and, um, kind of wondering what the heck was going on. And it was the first time like in my baseball career that I really like struggled really bad for a prolonged period of time, you know, and that was uh, something that you have to learn how to deal with. And so I think towards the end of the year, again, uh, like when, once we were going to like the postseason and right before that, you know, I kind of cleared my head and started just really trying to focus on the team and help us win and stuff. And I was eligible for the draft my sophomore year too. So I feel like that was, kind of something in the back of your mind you're just subconsciously putting a bunch of pressure on yourself you know and so I started struggling my sophomore year um and then once I went to the Cape I was like 
listen, I just hit 240. I would have never thought I could ever hit 240 in a season in my life. I'm just going to go have fun, reset, like do whatever, and ended up lighting it up and having a great summer. And, um, you know, that was kind of a lesson for me too, just like not to be worried so much about the results and um, kind of just, you know, you can't, baseball is not a game where you can try harder all the time and it's going to go better for you. And that's something that uh, just my personality, I'm super competitive and, you know, put a lot of pressure on myself for sure. But that's sometimes it, you know, it hurts me. What are things you, you do at the plate when you're not going well that, that you don't do when you are going well? Yeah. I mean, just like pressing, trying to get hits, you know, when you're going good, you're not worried about getting hits. You're just trying to put together good at bats and stuff like that. And once you see, you know, every single day you walk to the field and you have four at bats and you look up at the scoreboard before every single at bat and you see your batting average right there, you know, big numbers and um, you see it go down and it feels like it's never going to stop going down. That, you know, that's a lot of mental stress and um, you know, it's like your livelihood. So you care a lot about it and, um, you know, you're just worried about getting hits and stuff like that instead of, you know, being a good baseball player and just doing what you do naturally. And, um, you know, sometimes you can get locked in on reasons why you think things are happening, like you're late or something. So then you start chasing stuff out of the zone because you're trying to hit heaters or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of different things, but have you thought about that, that your sophomore season at Florida where you played 65 games and then that Cape season where you finished up and played 39 games is not even the full length of a minor league season. Nuts for sure. <laughs> how it's, how uh, did you crazy. feel at the end of that Cape year? Just your body. Yeah, I was definitely a little bit beat up, no doubt, but, uh, no, no, man, it's what we do. So you get used to it kind of. And then you gotta, you gotta walk me through a little bit playing in the Cape all-star game. Cause, uh, playing at Fenway, what you're, when you hit BP, obviously there are a bunch of scouts there. Like it's a, it's a heavily scouted event. I'm sure you want to, you know, look good. You're also left-handed. I'm sure you want to try to just like pepper some balls off the monster. Yeah. So we actually, the, the Cape all-star game is played at, it was played at Wareham when I played in it, but we do Fenway day. Oh, like so the it's scout, like the scout day. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that. And Fenway's obviously super famous and historic. And uh, we actually, there's one of my best buddies on my Falmouth team was Alex Mooney. And uh, we had like a, we had to drive the bus from Falmouth all the way to Boston. And so the whole way up there, we're like betting. I'm like, Mooney, I don't even think you can hit one over the monster, bro. He's like, fine. And so we were uh, joking and we had a bet. If he didn't hit it over the monster, he had to post something funny on Instagram. And if he did, I had to post something funny on Instagram. But, uh, he didn't end up hitting it over the monster. And so we're chirping them back and forth and uh, it was super fun. Well, it seemed, it seemed like a cool experience, but you get back to Florida for your junior year and obviously you guys go on a run. Is there any one thing you can point to of, you know, what made that team different versus the sophomore year that, that lost to Oklahoma? Or is it just like teams get hot? You know, kind of like I said before, I really feel like, especially this year, but my sophomore year too, but especially this year, like we all really just loved each other a ton and the group was super tight knit. And uh, I feel like we had a lot of older guys that returned and stuff. And that's something that you see, I think in college baseball, like you have a good group of older players and obviously there's some super talented freshmen that can contribute, but you kind of need that group of like veteran guys um, to really, that have been there before and kind of, you know, not let some of the pressure and stuff get to them and know what they're doing. Um, to make a run. And I think that we all had been there last year and like 
lost to Oklahoma and experienced that and just came back this year with a lot more experience and uh, ready to go. So it's another draft year and it's your last year with leverage. Do you feel like you handled it mentally, emotionally, whatever better this year than you did last year? Yeah, I'd say for sure. But I mean, not like it wasn't still, you know, on the back of my mind, something that I struggled with a little bit, but um, I definitely did handle it better. And, uh, you know, my sophomore year was definitely some pretty low points, you know, my life where I was pretty like sad about it. (laughs) And uh, it's not, not the happiest dude in the world, but you know, this year I really tried to not make it my entire life and um you know still remember there's other good stuff out there and you know really like before my sophomore year too i ended up having um i had labral surgery on my hip and so i was coming back that whole fall and like doing rehab for like probably five months and then this year in the fall i broke my hand like right in october so i ended up not being able to hit for a while coming into the season and stuff so that was something that I had to deal with too, just getting back from injury and trying not to like rush too much and feeling unprepared and stuff like that, which is no fun, but you're the regional you get you again, you guys host, you lose the second game to Texas tech. Losing the second game is tough yeah. because that means you're in the losers bracket. You're going to have to use more pitching than them. And then at some point you're going to have to beat someone twice. You also have the scar tissue of last year at Oklahoma the year before what again what made that was there nothing but confidence because you beat UConn eight to two and then you pretty much you manhandled Texas Tech in two games was there did it feel different than when you you guys played against Oklahoma yeah I mean you know it was a battle my sophomore year too we we battled back and we ended up getting that last game with Oklahoma and won a bunch of baseball games before that so um right as soon as we lost the game this year you know we're on the huddle and we're like listen man like last year was training camp for this year we're prepared we know what's coming up we're gonna win this thing like and chuck jerome the whole time was insisting like we're gonna win this thing guys don't no one else think differently we're gonna win this thing i know it and uh that's ended up what happened and we dominated and um you know really i do feel like we were super confident the whole time that's something that you know in baseball you don't want to like jinx things or whatever but really this whole year our whole group, like we were just super confident and, you know, felt like we were going to win. So with baseball, you guys make it to Omaha. The, the thing I love about college baseball is that making it to Omaha feels, feels a lot like a championship. It's not the championship, but it's like this goal. It's the, you know, it's a special place that everyone gets to play. And there's not really that there's, you know, I guess if you make like the final four and, and yeah. in March madness or something like that, but it's this, this one goal, but it's also a jobs not done thing. Were you able to, appreciate, Hey, I've made it. I can say, I can always say I've made it to the college world series and still like, and still lock in. Was there any sort of surrealness as you guys get off the plane? Did you just do your first workout? It was a Charles Schwab now or something. We need, need to name that after someone, but, um, you know, what, what was just kind of that early, you know, early Omaha feels before you guys played a game? Yeah. I mean, before, um, you know, we even took the flight there, like as soon as, we're in the last three outs against South Carolina in the super regional. I'm sitting at third base and I'm like, Oh my God, like we're really about to win this thing. Go to Omaha. Like, I can't believe it. But then I'm like, all right, now hold on, lock back in, like to make these last three outs. But uh, as soon as we won and we all dogpiled on the mound, it's like, you know, you feel like everything you've done for the last, you know, especially us losing at home the last two years, like it was worth it. And, you know, finally we get to like leave a legacy at Florida and we're, one of those teams we got us back to Omaha. You know, we hadn't been back since 2018. So 
it was a lot of things just we righted the ship and it felt really good and then um you know obviously it takes a special type of person not to get satisfied too and so we had a lot of guys that we weren't satisfied going to Omaha we definitely wanted to do really good and um you know win a national championship that was the goal the whole time but it definitely felt really good just to get there do those game once like first pitch goes does the game feel kind of similar i mean you've played in you know sec friday nights you've played at lsu you've played at south carolina is it all is it all kind of the same or does omaha kick up a notch especially because like those you know the sec weekend it's a friday night it's a saturday night there are students there and stuff sometimes like omaha you you know you, you might be playing like in the morning or like early you know midday like how how does the intensity square up to a weekend series you know it depends where you're playing but like like I said, like South Carolina, those fans are rowdy and they're right on top of you and they're mean, you know, they're really mean. And, uh, at, in Omaha, we were playing in front of 27,000 pretty much every single game, but at least the, the stands are kind of farther away. And there's so many people, you almost can't hear what they're saying. It's, it's kind of worse when it's like, it's a lot of people and you can hear exactly what they're saying and they're right on top of you. And they're, they're pretty angry. <laughs> that's, that's not as good, but, um, yeah, Omaha is, the crowds were obviously super loud and when good stuff would happen, they get crazy, but um, it almost was not as nerve wracking as like playing at like somewhere like South Carolina, just cause you know, they're not right on top of you and you almost like it, so much is going on. That it's almost like deafening. So you kind of forget that they're even there, honestly. And then I'm glad I have you on. Cause while like, obviously I watched the college world series pretty religiously. It's just my, my favorite thing this year in college baseball, home runs were up everywhere um it was you know it was the name of the game and then that ballpark my chief complaint is it doesn't really reflect the the regular season and even like the ncaa tournament college game because it is hard to get the ball out of there yeah um you know ball, balls hang up all y'all's games except for <laughs> game two of the uh against lsu we're tight. I obviously, I think you know this, like I root for TCU, like that game was tight. There was not a lot of offense that happened there. When, when you guys get to that ballpark, does it change anything about your offensive strategy, about what you do, what you do in the park? Like, obviously you got, um, you know, Caglione and who can get the ball out of anywhere and guys like that, where it's not as much of a big deal, but in general, did it change, you know, your approach at the plate or your team's approach at the plate? Yeah, no. I mean, at that point in the year, you got to just trust what got you there. And the stadium's definitely bigger and stuff, but we, you know, we have a bunch of guys that if they, if they catch one right, they can still get out of there. I, I feel like I hit like eight balls the warning track. You know, I got robbed at least twice there, but uh, I had no shot at getting it out. But uh, it, it, I mean, it's amazing when you watch it on TV and you see these balls that are squared up, especially after watching regionals where it's just like home run after home run. Guys, the, the Wake Forest guys had to be the most mad oh, I know. because Wake Forest is a band box and then yeah. they go there and it's just a nightmare. Yeah, mad. They get to play in that all year and <laughs> hit a bunch of <laughs> They're all right. But um, so obviously like things things don't go quite your way. You guys drop it to LSU. I, I want to ask, what was the, what was the most fun thing you did in Omaha that was not, not baseball? Um, well, we went to the zoo and that was something like before we even went, uh, one of the older guys had been on our team forever. Uh, Garrett Milchin, uh, stopped playing last year, but he's like, you guys got to go to the zoo. It is. He's been telling us forever. Um, and so we went to the zoo and it was, it was all right. It was pretty fun. <laughs> it's just all right. Yeah. Right. But, uh, 
one of the cool things was like our families and stuff uh, all traveled out there and um, my parents and my other roommates parents all got like a big airbnb together and so like when we were winning like we won our first two games and so we had like a couple off days in a row because the thing goes for like 10 days or whatever um and so their airbnb was awesome they had like a big pool and um so we got to go hang out over there with like our whole team and all our parents and stuff and you know you don't see them a whole lot during the year and especially as you get older you feel like you don't see your parents as much and like your whole family in general so it was it was just really fun to get to spend some time um all of us together so college world series ends and then you've got a bit of a break it used to be draft was during super regionals now you've got a bit of a break how did you how did you start going about that process did you have an idea of you know that you were definitely going to go were you thinking about still picking a class schedule for the fall like how did you weigh everything that was going on in your life yeah um i uh you know there's a lot to take in just because like of everything that just happened with the world series and stuff and so i kind of had not been thinking about the draft a whole lot um while we were making our run and um and then obviously losing to lsu is like super gut-wrenching and um so i took like a week off and um ended up why it's getting married so we ended up doing his bachelor party uh, a couple of days after that and we all went fishing offshore and spent the night on a boat like 100 miles offshore so that was awesome and um kind of just did some life stuff for about a week and then um, after that, you know, kind of did some phone calls with my agent and stuff and talked to scouts and, um, was thinking that I'm probably going to sign, but nothing was set in stone. And I already been through, you know, two times of the draft and, um, you know, how all that works out. So, uh, I wasn't hundred percent sure, but, um, ended up signing with the ACE and got the phone call and, um, you know, decided that it was the best time to go play pro ball. So it's pretty exciting. You can't skip over that, man. You've gone these two drafts without getting picked. What was, I mean, seven, how long did, so like day one or day, day one and two end. So the 10th round ends. So now we're in that, you know, they don't, their picks don't have to sign to save the, the slot, the allotment, but a lot of college guys, you know, rounds 11 through 17. Like how long did that feel? Forever. <laughs> I'm sitting there. You think you learn your lesson, like, and it's not like the last, like the two times before that, you know, you get calls and stuff, but you're saying no. And like, you think I want this much money or whatever. And so you're getting calls and you're like turning them down. And I'm like, well, God, this is my third time going through it. Like, you know, you always think you're going five or 10 rounds ahead of where five rounds where you're ahead of where you end up going. And so I, you know, day two was even a long day. Like I thought there was a chance I was going to go six through 10. And I had a lot of teams tell me that they saw me six through 10. And so I'm sitting there and, trying not to get pissed and then having like my best friend from my childhood come over and kind of take my mind off and stuff. And then, you know, day three is tough. I'm like sitting in my house and, you know, I'm sure my mom and dad are sitting there like thinking about it too, but they don't want to, you know, bother me and keep asking me or pestering me and stuff. So I'm just walking up and down the street and, you know, talking to my college coaches and stuff. And, um, and finally, you know, right, like round like 15, start getting some calls and, um, then it all happened pretty quick after that. But, yeah, man, it's definitely like anyone going through it, it's hard not to go crazy and start getting mad, you know? And you've, as someone who's listened to this this podcast before, you've obviously listened to a bunch of guys who have played minor league baseball and played it under, I guess, like the old old standards of living yeah. where they got paid absolutely nothing. They had to find their own housing and all bonus money went to living. Did 
did it make it easier for you to say, I'm, I'm committed. Like I want to sign, I want to get going, knowing that the financial reality of the job that you're taking is not the same as, you know, is not the same as it used to be. Like you're not, you're not a millionaire. You signed for $125,000, but you're going to a place where your all your housing will get paid for it. You have a much higher salary than minor leaguers. Like did that, did that matter at all? Like, did you think about that? Did that make it easier to not go back to Florida? Yeah. I mean, it definitely uh, didn't hurt. And it's something that, um, you know, we're really thankful for the guys before us that kind of laid the groundwork and stuff for us to have all this stuff. It'd be, I can't even imagine not having it, you know, it, it seems crazy that guys would sign up for that. And, um, but they did for a long time, you know, and it's, it's, uh, definitely a step in the right direction now with all the stuff we get and having a salary that's decent, you know, food and place to live. Um, not having to pay like your entire check every week to stay in some hotel that the team makes you stay in, you know? So it's, uh, I can't believe they used to have to do that, but yeah, definitely made it better for sure. So with that, you are at the outset, you are like two weeks in, do you, have you thought about a timetable? Have you thought about who you might be as a professional? Like what kind of, you know, what's your ticket to the big leagues? What kind of player do you want to be? Do you, do you give that thought at all? Or is it just like, ah, I got to go to the ballpark and be the best me? Yeah. Um, I think I've, you know, over the years, I'm trying to learn from everything that happens to me or everything that, you know, I go through and, um, playing baseball this long. And so I'm really just trying right now to not, you know, have a ton of expectations and just go and try to get 1% better every single day, you know? And, um, I feel like I'm someone that has always been a student of the game and stuff like that. So, um, I know like, I know how to play all over the infield. I can play any position. So, you know, in the big leagues, I can see myself definitely being like a utility guy and um, being able to play anywhere and, you know, just a left-handed bat. So I don't know, but whatever the A's want me to do, I'm, I'm here to do it and uh, go to the ballpark every day. And um, yeah, I'm ready to go. This is a self-serving question. Is there anything you've taken from this podcast or just even like guys who have played in the minors? Like you could say like, because you you know guys who have been through this life is there any piece of advice that you have you have taken or that that have in mind that you think will help throughout you know maybe living a better living a better life or a happier life or a more successful life in the minors oh yeah and like before i even talk about that i was gonna say the whole reason i started listening to this podcast is because like my senior year of high school you know i'm getting ready for the draft and i'm like oh my god like it's great to be able to listen to all these people's like stories about what happened on them to them on draft day and like what happened to their careers. And that was the entire reason I started listening. You know, I was like, this is so great. I get to hear from all these guys and how their draft days went, you know, and you hear the same thing, like you're waiting longer than you think, but you're like, Oh, I don't know if that's going to happen to me. Whatever. It won't happen to me. I'll be different. <laughs> no doubt. But um, that was the whole reason I started listening. So this podcast is awesome and I never stopped listening, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a long journey. That's kind of what I've picked up the most for sure is that, you know, once you get drafted, a lot of guys, I guess when you're young, you feel like that's the point you're working towards your whole life. And then really your career is just starting. So um, it's a long journey. Well, I'm glad that you've been listening. I'm not going to ask you to give yourself a pep talk at uh, at 21 as I do with the retired guys. We'll save that one for 15, 20 years down the road. Uh, I do have a rapid fire for you. All right, let's do it. You've already actually answered my least favorite SEC ballpark one, but favorite SEC ballpark that is not Florida. Uh, Mississippi State is awesome. Can I expand a little bit? It's not right. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I've been hearing since high school, like that after the weekend series, you know, every Sunday 
whether you win or lose, though, you go out to left field and they'll start handing out like steaks and ribs and stuff to you, like all in your arms after you go through the handshake line. So that that is such a cool tradition to me. So, so you you went out there and they just they just a bunch of grilled meat just found its way into your arms, right in your arms and your gloves. <laughs> it's hilarious. You get on the bus with a bunch of ribs and uh, and Mississippi State fans, they're awesome. They pack out that place too. They're not as mean spirited as uh, South Carolina. <laughs> that's like every dad's dream just yeah. walking out somewhere and getting grilled meat thrown at them uh favorite gainesville food spot um the social all right you got to talk me through the menu you can't just say it i need i need some need some information what are we eating <laughs> um i'm probably getting the cheeseburger with an egg and some fries and then you know if you're a little bit older can get an adult beverage there as well. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Uh, best pitcher you ever faced? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I faced Kumar and Jack when they were like the most popular names in baseball. Um, they're both pretty good, but honestly, it all blurs together so much. Man, the SEC as a whole is just crazy. I feel like we face some really, really good arms all the time, you know. So I don't even know, but yeah, I mean, this year you guys did have the the first overall pick in, in conference. So that's, that's something. Um, what is the maddest you've ever seen Kevin O'Sullivan? <laughs> um, our freshman year, we were at South Carolina and we ended up getting swept there by the way, both times I played there. So it's not a lot of good memories, but, um, it was like Friday or Saturday and Sterling Thompson was a freshman. And kid is just such a good hitter, but he had to learn some other baseball stuff like base running a little bit and stuff. And so we had a play where we scored a run and uh, I think it would have put us up on like Saturday and um, Stur didn't slide going to the second on a double play. So they automatically send the runner back to third or whatever and gave us two outs and uh, we ended up losing the game or whatever. And so solely was hot. And um, the next day at our huddle, we're all sitting there and, uh, we're talking about something, and he's like, Sterling, you got to fight. F-L-I-D-E, fight, 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 fight. <laughs> and just yelling out. And we're all like, oh, my God, you know, and we're young, so it's, like, really scary. But, you know, after that, everyone's like, for the next, like, couple of years, we're always joking. S-L-I-D-E, fight, fight. <laughs> you know, and Stur obviously was a really good player and signed really high and stuff, so it's just funny. But. So the the last question I've got for you, and you know this, is the, is the nightmare travel story. And I didn't want to make assumptions, but yeah. do you actually have one? Because you did yeah. just spend three years in the SEC. Yeah. No, we uh, this last year of travel was pretty cool. But my freshman year was right after COVID, so we didn't have the budget that we usually would have. So we ended up busing some places, and um, we'd like to bus to Tampa to fly out of Tampa or whatever. But um Again, it's South Carolina. This was just the weekend from um, We ended up getting on the bus pretty late. And that was like one of the longer bus trips we'd make, I guess, from Gainesville to South Carolina. I think that was probably like the farthest that we'd bus. We'd That's fly. a hike. Yeah. yeah. Farther than that. But we ended up busing. And uh, we get on the bus after Sunday. So it's probably like, I don't know, five o'clock or something or four. And we're all dreading the ride and everyone's silent because we just got swept at South Carolina. <laughs> and um, so we're driving home and then someone comes up with the great idea to stop at Bucky's to get food on the way home. And 
So we stop there and everyone's ordering other stuff and it ends up just, there's like, this place is packed and there's just a backed up line of like a hundred orders and none of our food is coming out. We've been at Bucky's for like an hour and a half. So we're all like, Oh my God. And uh, we all ordered all this food and none of it's coming out, but there's all these orders just on the counter that no one's like grabbing. There's like a hundred orders of just random stuff. And so we're all like, all right, someone just grab some chicken tenders and let's go. And, so we ended up stopping at Bucky's for like two hours and we didn't get back home in Gainesville till like two or three in the morning. And um, it was brutal. And Eggy, our equipment manager, who decided to stop, kind of caught some flack from that from everyone. But yeah, I mean, wasn't. Bucky's is packed everywhere. Like it doesn't matter if it's the middle of nowhere in Texas, like you'll you'll not have seen a soul for 100 miles. And then you come across a Bucky's and all 100 gas pumps are full and the place is packed. It's just it's not a place you get out of quickly. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I am glad you could participate in the nightmare nightmare travel story because my alternate was just to ask, like, what was your your first moment of like, wow, we have it really good up here. But, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure there were sure there were plenty of those. Uh, but Colby, that is all I've got for you. I am again looking forward to doing this long in the future. Have you wrapped up your career? Best of luck in the complex. Best of luck getting out of the complex. And thank you so much for joining from Feed on to the Farm. Yeah, Kyle, thank you. You got it, man.